Well, good afternoon, everybody. It's another conversation with me and Gil at Agility by Nature. Very much looking forward to talking to today's guest because he is incredibly experienced. He has done a lot of agile practitioner work for many years and also has done a lot of training work. And I've worked with him before and I can testify that A, he knows what the heck he's talking about. Two, he's a great raconteur. And three, I think he's a, a good fun. I think he's a bit of a surfboard guy as well. I don't know if you're still down. We never got to meet on Agile Beach. Today's guest is Matt Hoskin. How are you, Matt? Hi there. I'm very well, thank you. How are you, sir? Are you keeping Yeah, well? not too bad. I'm sort of um, not really enjoying the October mist and rain season at the moment. I like it when it gets a little bit drier and the, the leaves are brown. But, you know, me and the dog, they're still going out there. Yeah, I, th I think actually autumn passed us by down here in Cornwall. We had, uh, I think we had two or three days of it briefly, and then it just feels like winter setting. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a bit chilly. It's time for uh, jumpers, sweaters and pullovers, whatever your preferred word is. Well, thank you so much today for joining me, Matt. And, and as I have uh, been snooping around LinkedIn, I did say you experienced. So let's, I'm going to go for this. This is going to take a little while to get through some of the, the roll call of the work you've been doing. Uh, I mean, you've been, you started with Agile Project Management at Interactive Data and Management. Oh, yeah, that was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. And ironically, ironically, uh, we started doing something that today you'd recognise as Scrum uh, way back then without even knowing what it was. We needed some very short feedback loops into a very aggressive market space. This was back in the dot-com boom. Yeah. So as project managers, we were going and grabbing requirements from clients in in person face to face on a monday going back to little development teams and putting them all up on walls and whiteboards and all those good things and churning through them and then getting them on a staging website by close of play on friday and going back on the following monday showing them everything we'd done if they liked it phone back to the office press the button put it live and then gather a load more requirements to go back so awesome yes was, uh, yeah. I, I, that's kind of how i started being a, i was a product owner an initial before the days I understood the word scrum as being other than, than rugby, and I just wrote a little list of things I needed to get done. <laughs> I need to improve the, the stickiness of this. We're not getting much traffic there. Things like that. And then I handed over some ideas to the developers, and they went, "Oh, this is quite good." And I thought, "Oh, great, excellent." Then they asked me fifteen questions on day one, and three questions on day two, and, and then they just knocked it out. And then we put it in fake live, and I said, "Yeah, that looks fantastic, guys. Let's go." And, and revealed it. So uh, there you are. I'm, I'm going to talk about experimentation later, but let's get on with it. You've been at Boeing. Uh, yes, at Boeing. Yep. We've done, uh, so we've done financial data. We've done airlines. Um, Serco, government security. You were yes, won't talk about that all the time. Yeah, I, I'm, I get it. You were at the British Army briefly, working with the chaps in green. Mm -hmm. quote, yes, unquote. indeed. So we won't be talking about that either. We won't. Cap Gemini HMRC Aspire project, um, Screwfix Agile PM with the BI side of that. You also did some work with Wincanton Logistics Supply Chain. You were the British Broadcasting Corporation, the BBC Agile Pro uh, Project Manager, and a Scrum Master in yeah. Business Intelligence. Um, Business Analytics SAS, CIMED um, Technical Clinical Software Development. Travis Perkins, uh, where you were the Agile Capability Lead. You were the Program Manager and Agile Coach at Affinity Digital. You spent some time at All Pay, where your digital products offerings to the NHS. You were the um, Orders, uh, Office of uh, National Statistics. Was that um, Newport? It was indeed. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So mapping. Um, you spent some time in the UK, Gibraltar, and Krakow as Lead Enterprise 
coach for William Hill Gambling. You went to a bit of footwear, Adidas, Germany, uh, data science and analytics there. You were head of Agile and you're now head of Agile Coaches Tesco Bank uh, Supermarket Retail. Absolutely. It's been a journey, hasn't it? I felt that you were actually going to give me a red book just then. It's almost as good as your life, wasn't it? So, uh, yeah. The thing I really liked about, you know, lots of people can be very specific and they like a particular industry or they like government and what have you. But you have a very, and I love, personally, I like a more diverse range of industry. I've never really, I've done a fair bit of media, but I like the range of things you've done. Because something I saw on your LinkedIn profile, here we're ready, I've got the evidence, it's in writing, stand by. Um, Having started experimenting with Agile and Lean practices in the 90s, I spent 20 years understanding and delivering what being Agile is all about. And I suppose, given that you've worked just about everywhere with everybody, doing everything, I suppose the question is, well, being Agile, what is it all about then? Yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? Because if you ask questions like, oh, well, what, what's Agile? What's Agile yeah. mean? And all those things. Some people go into really sort of deeply technical or theoretical answers about different methods and frameworks and all those particular things. And actually, I've boiled it down to simply trying to make tomorrow better than yesterday. Oh. Actually, for me, really, that's all agility is about. An organisation can spend an awful lot of time effectively trying to make tomorrow much the same as yesterday yeah. but actually we're all about improvement and the reason i use kind of short days is because we like to talk in short cycles actually it's not like trying to make next year and this year because that all feels a bit a bit long but actually you know we, we talk about little cycles of plan do check adjust experimentation as you mentioned earlier actually they're all for the purpose of trying to make things better be that in the product space in the people space in the technology whatever actually in any space we're all just seeking this continuous improvement really and for me that's what agility is actually about it's just and it's 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 also let's recognize that you know people wang on about whether agility has a capital a or a small a and i try not to get too bogged down in that actually there are lots and lots of different ways that we can try to improve things you know and people will say well you could use scrum for this or kanban for that or scaled agile for this or nexus less you name it a whole bunch of different things yeah of course you can but actually the goal is not to implement a framework or become really really proficient in a particular practice the goal is actually to make stuff better no so really for me that's what agility is about uh, well we can almost stop the program there because i, I like a simple definition <laughs> why has it got so decorated with the words of scrum and kanban and there can be some and actually safe you say safe stand back because you're going to have all those saying, oh, it's not true agile, and there'll be others saying, oh, it's just, actually, it's a collection of good things. Why has it got so decorated, do you think? Well, I think in part it's just time served, isn't it? If you look back to what I'll call the early days of agile popularist culture, so the early 2000s, you know, we had, because Scrum, of course, was codified back in 1996. It didn't appear in 2000. I think people sort of got to hear about it more when the manifesto came out in 2001. But there's been a huge volume, of, I think, of just um, consideration in the space of, you know what, actually, if you step back and think about my definition about, well, let's try and make things better, there have been an awful lot of good ideas. People said, well, actually, we could use this thing to make things better. Because if you recognise Scrum itself, it, did, it wasn't born for software development. It was actually used initially in, uh, in hardware. And someone, you know what, I think I can apply this to software. And then people have looked at the lean production work that Toyota did and said, you know what, I think I can apply this to software too. And then you just look around the artifacts and the, the knowledge base that exists in 
a myriad of different places. And actually, I think there's just a lot you can fold in. And we start looking at lean economics and finance practice. And again, these are the things we can all just start to apply. So as the umbrella of agility broadens, and I suppose I'll cling to my definition of actually, you know, if we're just trying to make things better and we get don't get too obsessed about categorizing those things and saying, well, we can only do one thing in one space. Actually, you can start to fold a huge volume of things in. So uh, you know, work by, well, a range of um, uh, psychologists, economists, uh, mathematicians, you, you name it. I think what's happened is because Agile has been a fairly broad church and fairly ill-defined on purpose, I think what's happened is an awful lot of things have come inside it. So that's probably why. And it's not already getting on the bandwagon. I think it's just a case of recognising that there are a lot of things that can be applied. Yeah. There's, there's very little these days that's actually really properly new. It's just kind of rediscovered or put into a newer context. I think that's that's an interesting, there's nothing really new. Um, and obviously there's a lot of discussion about um, what is coming down the line. But if, if, if it's nothing really new, why do we still struggle to get some companies to become better at doing something better the next day rather than planning over very long periods of time and just building in all that inertia. Mm. And I think inertia is probably a good word for it. Something I've, I've noted and, and I've said this to a few people is we've seen agility sort of appear obviously in the software space and hardware and have a good old rattle around enterprises, but it's left a large amount of leadership somewhat disenfranchised, particularly in the middle management layer, people don't really know what to do. And equally, as you push that out into sort of the, uh, the top tier of an organization and into what you consider to be the strategy space, agility hasn't really spoken into that corner very much. And it's an area that fascinates me because right now you've got organizations in the 2020s potentially using 2020 technology, but their management and leadership is really from the 1990s. And they haven't, haven't really moved on. And actually, when I say 1990s, I think 1990s management leadership styles actually based on something from much earlier anyway. Yeah. So we haven't really seen an evolution in that space. And I know you mentioned SAFE earlier, and I'll just mention it. I mean, SAFE is talking about business agility in its latest releases. But it's, it's, it's potentially, I wouldn't necessarily say a lone voice, but it's one of the few sort of um, frameworks certainly that's saying, actually, we need to do something in this space. But um, for me, I, I, I've been I've been knocking around in what I call the enterprise space for a few years because there's um, there's a gap here that needs bridging because a huge volume of work has been done inside this what I call the team area. Yeah. But actually, you can only achieve so much. If I go into an organisation, you know, I won't I won't pick, but just say a moderate sized organisation, I'll find that I can go in at team level and do a lot of work with teams, and I can teach them things like Scrum or Kanban or whatever, and I can I can help optimise them. Yeah. But if they're inside a larger context, which is potentially a waterfall delivery, having projects and project funding and stage gates and all those things, I can probably only move the efficiency of that yeah. whole engine by probably ten or fifteen percent. Yeah. We then need to step beyond that and say, actually, well, what about product? And I think products become more and more of a word in probably the last decade or so. So actually, if we look at what we're trying to do with these little teams who we meant to be more efficient and actually have some proper conversations about, well, what products do we really need to bring to market rather than, hey, here's everything that we decided we should have done a year ago. Actually, what are we doing and where's the value it's delivering to our customer? That takes us a step further. But then this is almost where the gap comes in. 
then you need to really say, well, this product delivery, what's it aligned to? And corporate strategy for me is a fascinating creature where I find that in some instances, it's, um, I wouldn't necessarily say absent, but it's, it's not necessarily conceived in a manner that means we can have a direct line from strategy to execution. Yeah. So, uh, and some organizations also, uh, and there are many different definitions of strategy and I'm going to try and define them all, but some organizations don't actually necessarily have a strategy. They're almost waiting for something to emerge. Yeah. I know uh, there's a Canadian uh, economist called um, Henry Mintzberg. He made a point, actually, you can have, you can have a, an intended strategy, but actually when you try and implement it, it will change a little and you'll end up with an emergent strategy and actually you'll end up with a realized strategy. So yeah. you'll go on that journey. But actually until organizations have really strategically decided on what goal it is they want to achieve and then, okay, well, strategically, what are we going to do to deliver that? And then maybe look at the tactics inside that they still can't really connect back to, and this is the work we're going to do. Mm. So I think uh, really this is this is fairly, I wouldn't say new thinking, but this is probably the next area for agility really to step into and try and sort out a little bit, because this is where the games will really come. And we're in a more and more competitive environment all the time, right? I was looking at doing some analysis in the banking sector only a couple of weeks ago, and we've got some large banks, yes, you know, the brands that we know and love and have been around forever. And since I think it was about 2011, the first mobile banking app launched, actually we've seen a huge change. Technology has changed enormously. I mean, that was a single banking app that was launched, I think just before 4G came in, but we now have 4G and we as individuals now, I mean, it's terrifying what we do on our phones now. 20 years ago, you wouldn't dream of what we do on our phones. You can do almost everything on your phone. We as consumers have changed massively. And coming back to the banking example, I had a quick look around and I, and, uh, I had a quick count up on how many challenger banks there are in the UK. Because there's loads of brands that people have heard of now. There's Atom Bank or Monzo or yeah. a range of others. But actually, this was a little bit of a surprise for me. There are 120 challenger banks in the UK. Yeah. So organisations regardless of scale or positioning actually need to have a strategy they do need to have some form of goal that is you know, taking them somewhere it's not just keep doing what i'm doing today actually you know, we need to recognize that today we're in a current state and our future state needs to be somewhere else but then actually strategically come up with some sense around how we're going to set about that and then align all the work we do towards that strategy otherwise actually we'll find that someone else with a slightly better or leaner strategy than us will suddenly start stepping into our market space and taking it from us. I, I, I totally agree. I mean, I, for a number of years now, have been a bit like you say, I think we know how the team at the level of execution kind of can work, should work, etc., And we know how to help them cooperate and collaborate. But this empowerment, really needs bigger thinking so you know what's being fed down and what is being fed back up and is that actually working and i did actually have a gig many years ago and says what's the business strategy and someone laughed at me um in my face as if you know that was a really stupid question we don't have a strategy and i was like okie dokie this could be quite a tough gig but hey they did have a strategy and just wasn't very well enunciated but do you think sometimes the frameworks are very good at focusing on process how to do stuff and not so very good uh how do you think about stuff 
you know, like saying yeah, you've got a lot of uncertainty. So a good way of dealing with that is having a strong goal rather than saying, well, first of all, you've got to have this and there must be no more than this sort of number of people. And then you've got to do the et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You think we've got too process orientated? Well, I think, I think there is a danger there, isn't there? I suppose if we step from the enterprise space and just step straight back into the smallest common denominator of Scrum, if you look at the Scrum framework, it is literally that. It is a framework. It's a walking skeleton. It yeah. gives you a range of artifacts that you might produce in a range of ceremonies or events, depending on which version of the Scrum Guide you're reading, that you might do. But actually, it doesn't talk about what you're going to do inside it. It talks mm. about having a program, the product backlog that's all yeah. by value. But actually, if you step into that space, you have to go and look at XP, really, yeah for the best practices of what to do inside the Scrum method. The, the framework itself is empty. It doesn't dictate how you might code or test your work or whether you should pair code or use test-driven development, behavioral development, whether you should use, I don't know, Gherkin syntax, you, you name it. There's a whole gamut of things that you would potentially consider inside that framework to deliver value. The Scrum framework itself, other than saying, make sure you've ordered your product by value, and it doesn't help you determine what that means. Exactly. Actually, you know, it, 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 it simply gives you this, this structure within which to decide what you're going to do. And I think, actually, you can apply that to most of the frameworks. And if I look at the SAFE framework, it does say quite, uh, quite cleanly, you know, and I'm quite pleased with it in this sense. It does say, actually, you have an enterprise strategy and you connect it to your portfolio using strategic things. And those strategic things can be OKRs if you want them to be. What it doesn't do is say, and this is how to derive your strategic themes, or this is how to write your strategy. It yeah. does give you a nod as to the inputs and outputs that you might have inside your strategy. But uh, what it doesn't do is, uh, is actually say, OK, here is your strategy. <laughs> and there are so many uh, books written on strategy and bits and pieces that, yeah, I think it's fair that or that frameworks put these sort of ring fence around saying, you know, this is what we do. And actually, these are things you should do, but we're not going to try and tell them, tell you how to do them because that's just too big a story. Yeah. So, yeah, I think there's, um, I think the, the framework does give us the process, but to come straight back to your point, I think we should recognise that it sits in a triangle of people, process and technology, and it's up to us as, leaders, coaches, or whatever inside these kind of spaces and helping implement things like these frameworks to try and cover in those corners and say, actually, yes, that's the process bit. We'll help you understand the process, but actually let's do the people bit or the tech bit, or you know, in this case, the strategy bit. You know, we really need to think about this. Otherwise, you're, you're, you can't leverage the power of the framework. Actually, yeah. if strategically you don't know where you're going, no framework will tell you where that is. Exactly. It'd be one ballsy coach and go into somebody else's business and say, I need to sort out your strategy, wouldn't it? Or, or give and give you your strategy. <laughs> or, or an unbelievably arrogant coach. I don't know, actually. I think sometimes it's quite refreshing and I'm kind of just thinking about last week. So uh, it's a little bit awkward for me for you to say that. So, um, yeah, it's, <laughs> um, you know, but you have to have these conversations, actually. And I think this is part of trying to help organisations because... Right. If at the C-suite level of organization, they have a sensation that they have a strategy, but as a third party who goes in as a neutral, you know, completely neutral party in a conversation, say, actually, I can see the facts that you have created here, but they don't feel like a strategy. And maybe, you know, even if you just use sort of some fishbone or five wise technique, yeah, say, yeah. you know, I, I see why you've said this thing, but why? You know, you've said we're going to move into a new market. 
but why? What's that driving? This is potentially a, a, a component of a strategy or maybe a tactic, but what's the strategy? You know, why is it that we're going there? I, you mentioned earlier, I did some work with uh, Adidas. Uh, they, they, they had a goal, it was great. We want to be the best sports company in the world. Fine, you know, sounds, a, sounds a bit big, but you know, they're number two anyway, so it's not, it's not out of their reach, is it? But having stated that goal, you can then think, okay, well, strategically, what are we going to do to yeah. deliver that goal? And this is where I guess you, you can get a bit academic on what strategy means. But if you look back at the word itself, strategy, it actually comes from the Greek, um, strategos, which is effectively uh, the word of the general. Right. It, it comes from the military, effectively. And if you think about it, <laughs> The general is the person who's got the view of the whole battle. Yeah, they're yeah. the ones moving all the different pieces around and say, you know, actually, you know, I might sacrifice some pieces there, probably say, but I'm going to go here and go there, and and move the things around, and and I have that, I have that view. I know what the goal is. It's to, I don't know, capture that city or, I don't know, invade this country or whatever. But the strategy is a lot of different moving parts. Yes, but they all point towards the goal. Yes. And actually, this is this again, I think, is where sometimes organizations come a little bit unstuck. But if you look into the Silicon Valley space, you look at some of the big, highly successful tech companies, they don't have really deeply complicated strategies. What they have is a very clear goal. And I think in some respects, this is where organizations do just go awry and say, OK, you've got a strategy. OK, well, you've got a bunch of sentences and a bunch of activities. What are they working towards? You know, strategically, where are you trying to go? And I think having these conversations, you were saying about, oh, it's a bit ballsy to go and say it. Actually, I think this is, these are conversations that need to happen because an organization, you might have a change budget of 50, 100 million a year that they're going to spend on change, right? That's a massive investment on their part. If they get that investment wrong, they can, well, not only be fairly poor in their expenditure, that's a lot of money wasted or at least yeah. spent suboptimally, but also they might not find that they're in their market space in three to five years' time because they've not had their eye on that goal. I think um, so. Let's assume that we are ballsy, and I know you—you're you, certainly not a man who can uh, step back when he needs to step forward. I can say that for sure. Um, but, but actually, the best I'm coach not sure if that's a compliment. Actually, yeah. <laughs> the best coaches—well, I'll rephrase that. The people I see most successful in this space are the ones who will step forward and say the thing that needs to be said. I think there's too many consultants who pull their punch to protect the fee, uh, not necessarily advance the goal um there we are i'd said it <laughs> i'm sure i'm gonna get a lot of feedback about that bring it on um you've had these conversations with the c-suite do you find that uh, they're becoming more receptive to these messages that the, 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 the agile transformation isn't just what the tech team the development team does in it over there that it's a much bigger organizational revamp i think absolutely that has become uh, normalized yeah, the C-suite are now much more engaged. In fact, the more successful Agile transformations are sponsored at C-suite yes. level anyway. Uh, you can't push agility up an enterprise. You'll hit that ceiling inside the IT area, for I would say, where an IT director was driving it, but then it falls out of context the moment it comes outside that. I'd say, yeah, absolutely, in the last five to ten years, the conversation has properly started, but it's been really accelerated. I can't, I, I, I know I mentioned it earlier, but I can't stress enough just how fast technology is moving and how fast just our consumer space is moving you know yeah. things that we considered to be leading edge bleeding edge three years ago are now on day 
Yeah. If I look at the technology adapt adoption lifecycle of uh, my teenage daughters, actually, the, the rate of consumption and just deposition of tech is, is very quick. Yeah. So organizational agility is, is key. An organization itself needs to pivot. We've seen it with coronavirus, but putting that aside, we, we just watched massive market shifts and behavioral shifts happen. And if you're not a company that can't actually pivot its strategy, and you know, actually we did an 18 month planning cycle and we've baked in our budgets for the next however long and we've committed to all these projects. So, yeah, this is, this is not sustainable. And I think it's, it's, there's been a clear recognition probably in the last five years at senior leadership level that actually we need to be able to change. And actually the structures we have around ourselves, that sort of 1990s management frameworks I talk about, they are not nimble enough to enable us to pivot. And in the 1990s, you didn't necessarily need to. Technology was moving much slower. Yeah. Actually, you know, the, the, the march from Betamax video to VHS becoming the dominant video format was not too quick. And we saw CDs come in and stay with us for a long time before then we moved on from that. But actually things moved slowly. And now things are moving very fast. Indeed. It's funny, the iPhone launched in 2007. And I asked someone the other day, so how many different versions of the iPhone do you think there have been since 2007? And they said, well, oh, is it 10? No, there must be, I've seen some other sizes, so 12, 13, so rattled around some numbers. So, well, if you include the three which are due for release this year, I'm not sure if they come out just yet, but there's been 28. Yeah, yeah. Now, actually, these things were originally about making phone calls. Yeah, that's, that's almost become a sideshow now. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they do make phone calls, but I mean, who makes phone calls anymore, right? <laughs> so, uh, so yes, this level of, of pace and organisational change, I think people have got a grip. They've really got a grip with. And also, we've seen, you know, there are poster ch children out there. We watched the large, mainly US-based, but you know, the big tech giants spin on a sixpence sometimes just to just to change the shape of where they are. And I think coronavirus has come back to it. There's been some very interesting pivots. Very. We've witnessed Airbnb were an interesting example. You know, they were renting out rooms. Okay, yeah. we can't do that. Now we're suddenly going to start selling experiences. That yeah. was a neat trick. Yeah. Tesco, there's another example actually. So Tesco Group, uh, they were doing, I think it was 600,000 delivery slots a week before coronavirus. Within four weeks of lockdown, they put that up to 1.2 million. They doubled it. Yeah. And that's not just a case of, oh, well, we've got some more slots. If you think about their supply chain, what yeah. we have yeah. to do to achieve that, this is more drivers, more vans, more fitting yep. out of vans, refrigeration, more picking, you yep. name it. And they yep. did that in four weeks. So I think we've got a lot of examples here where enterprises realise, you know what, it's not just about a bunch of software engineers doing what we asked them to do a year ago a bit quicker. We suddenly need to be in a position where when the changes in our market appear, you know, when the threats come, we're able to deal with them. Absolutely. And do you think also, I was just noticing there's been a bit more local action. So we talked about large enterprises and presumably they got the resources to move things around. I mean, if you need 1,500 drivers quickly, having a lot of a big bank account, you can get 1,500 drivers probably. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of more local market type stuff where people are banding together and they go through one person, an app, and they get different supply. So we're getting meat direct from Smithfields via a pub. And the pub has sort of become the central purchasing officer for our little village area, which is actually quite interesting. And I know somebody else, yeah. they set up a, a table 
and they just sell fresh produce from the table and people go around and, and they're getting that and they're turning over something like three thousand pounds a week and i was like really cabbage <laughs> I mean, you know, I think it's interesting isn't it because actually i gave a conference talk a couple of years ago where we talked about change and i made the point that you know people i, I put this slide up and said it and the slide said people don't like change and i said you know what i wrote this slide but it's not it's not right actually people don't like change being done to them but yeah. actually as people we do kind of like change we will embrace change in it but if it's on our terms yes and i think what we saw was a huge amount of innovation and change but it was done on the terms of the individuals involved in it obviously being forced into lockdown was something that none of us enjoyed that was change enforced upon us but then there was this this lovely bit of creativity and innovation as you describe pubs suddenly started doing takeaways and even takeaway yeah. beer yeah. Uh, or would turn themselves into wine shops or something else local stores would start doing home delivery you'd see small community groups there's communities of practice in the community forming up doing door-to-door -door deliveries so yeah, yeah. actually it, it's interesting because we have that almost entrepreneurial entrepreneurial spirit ourselves yes innately in us but you put us into inside large organizations large corporates and somehow it just goes away and some of that i say somehow some of it we know exactly why there have been you know i think the the phrase command and control management has been around for many 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 years now but it's it's still prevalent it's there is still a sensation of i've slotted into some form of organizational hierarchical structure and will do as i'm told yeah and it's it's a peculiarity we get along with that we get a sense of learned helplessness where people feel they can't actually innovate or create for fear of some form of repercussion but actually these are exactly the things that we really need to tap into yeah and it's quite nice actually just coming back to agility and i'll just talk about the larger framework behind me and the, the, the safe framework makes the point that actually a lot of idea or innovation that you might want in your portfolio space will come from lower down your enterprise it's the people doing the work and then if you play back into some of the sort of we talked about you know agility and thinking earlier you know gemba this idea that uh, you know it's come from toyota and from lean manufacturing you know no no good idea came from behind a desk you've actually got to go and see you've got to go to the work yeah actually the most important people inside your enterprise are actually the people doing the work because they know the most about it yeah, actually, if I'm on the Toyota production line, the chap fitting the door into the Toyota Prius is the person who knows the most about fitting that door. And there'll be some people elsewhere with some architectural pictures, you know, some diagrams and schematics. And yeah, that's fine. But they haven't actually been and lived it. Yeah. They've not been into the solution context to say, actually, you know what, you have to hold it a certain way and slot in one corner first to make it fit. Yeah. So uh, I think, uh, yeah, it would be great if organizations can tap in to that a little bit more and, and make more of that recognition but again this all comes back to that leadership and almost that sensation you get some people in these sort of more older style traditional management think their job is to come up with the ideas and provide yeah. the answers and actually it isn't it's to create an ecosystem where other people who are better equipped actually to answer some of those questions because they're closer to the work yes can actually come up with them and voice them and trial them and then we can experiment and see what works and doesn't work yeah, yeah. but actually you know, this is this is where we really start to get innovation and to an extent you know enterprise agility business agility etc yeah I, I i yeah i had a boss who thought he was really really creative and me and my my colleague realized he wasn't terribly creative <laughs> we had to say look your job's not to be creative please can you just do your job which is deal with the board we'll deal with this other stuff over here yeah, absolutely. And he, he kind of 
he didn't like it. You could tell he didn't like it, but he kind of got it. So he did. He did behave yeah. like. But, yeah. And there's there's been. I mean, there's been a lot of work done. I think about. Um, I mean, David Marquette is uh, American. Um, the submarine um, captain as he was you know he, he's he's done talks about this and all kinds of things but uh, you know in his video greatness and in his book turn the ship around he makes the point actually people just need two things they need the technical competence to do what's being asked of them and the organizational clarity to understand why they're doing it yes and this comes straight back to the heart of strategy actually i go into a lot of organizations and the organizational clarity is not there so like, why are we delivering this product suite well we're not really sure. So you've got the technical competence without the clarity. But actually, if you've got those two things, the technical competence and organizational clarity, you can have a huge amount of really positive, innovative, decentralized decision making, you know, right there inside that, that melting pot of actually delivering, working on and delivering innovative solutions to market space. Exactly. Do you think, um, I was talking to some, some friends recently and we were talking about, so we, 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 we all came from sort of publishing and and and, dig, and digital publishing, so Financial Times and which and what have you. I said one of the things I had noticed is the emergence of the product manager, product owner, but actually product management, mm. and that role has become increasingly central. It's increasingly powerful. Many of the things that maybe traditionally went to a board or to a senior exec sort of coming into the product team. Yeah, I, th I think there's there's a couple of things that happened, and you're, you're absolutely right. In fact, I gave a talk at Agile on the Beach that you mentioned earlier um, a couple of years ago, and I made that very point about the fact that yeah, if you look back 15 years ago, we didn't really have product yeah. management as a function per se. We certainly didn't have some of the things like, I mean, now have UX yes. as a whole sort of a discipline, if you like. We had yeah. UI, people who call themselves a UI engineer, but actually there's a whole sort of experiential piece that's that's been forming up. But um, I think... In part, I think organizations have recognized that there's, there's one of the sort of the anchors dragging, dragging on the seabed for me in organizational agility is this concept of projects. Yes, yeah. And you know, projects are almost this, this, I mean, they're just a construct. Uh, and I, I had a chat, it was probably over a beer or two with some people in a, in this one evening at a conference where um, we were trying to distill down really what a project actually is. And when we got to the bottom of it, actually, it's just a it's just a financial bucket. It's an approval of an amount of money. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. If you think about the behaviours that generates, there's a huge amount of tracking against are you spending your money and how much money have you spent and are we normally going to do what we thought we would with the money? But it's all about the money. And when the money is spent, then there's a problem. So if we can break out of that very artificial construct that, we've invented right it's, it's there's no law that says thou shalt have product to do projects to deliver products it's not there right? but um, if we can if we can get away from that and start having proper conversations about products and product life cycle and potentially maybe a continuous improvement methodology yeah. to the concept of product then it makes a lot more sense and this is where product management suddenly become more powerful to come back to your point actually yeah. if we can say look product management that has a function as a group of people we'd like you really to take that Take the rudder on this and steer this product. We're going to unshackle you from these hideous things called projects and budget approval and all those horrors and just say, look, you know, do the best possible thing to generate sustainable value for the enterprise and deliver yeah. the best value to the customer. You know, go forth. This is really, really powerful. And, and you're right, we've seen this whole, this whole sort of move towards that coming gently in. I mean, it's not. I wouldn't say it's the norm yet, 
but it's it's certainly becoming a much more normalized conversation so hopefully in time we will get to the position where you know i hope i'm alive to see the day when there are no more projects and actually we are thinking about product and customer <laughs> well i think that there's really i mean because yeah projects are these sort of bespoke investment containers that were created for whatever reason. i suppose it's because they just wanted to protect their money um the product ownership is um an interesting one because it's changing the organization you know the organization where's the product project manager you can still keep to one side because it's a bespoke container so, well it's you know we could keep them there product ownership and product management is really sort of saying well marketing has to think differently and operate differently um technology has a different interface um finance has a different interface even the board has a different interface i'm wondering if it's because it's so disruptive it's still taking its time to be accepted or do you think people are saying come on let's have our product manager well i think mostly in, in my view it comes back to structure yeah and unfortunately I, i'm going to keep referring to this 1990s style of management if i if i lift and shift the skeletal structure of an organization from the 1990s it's full of lots and lots of different departments yeah you know we have got a d development function we've got a test function they right. might be a third party i've got a, a requirements function i've got as you say marketing a function i've got brand as another function i've got a whole bunch of different functions and organizations Tap under best intention, but arrange themselves around typically technical technical practice or business function, yeah. not around the flow of value. Yeah. So, and, and ironically, this is where project management really stems from. Because if you look at project management, so someone's got this pile of cash that they need to spend to deliver something of value. This item of value is going to flow across and touch lots and lots of different organisational silos. These different areas. And the project manager's job really actually it's mostly de dependency management because yeah. every single department to deliver this thing has a dependency so their job is oh you know i need four people from testing to test this thing okay i'm going to try and manage that dependency yeah. oh, i need to get some stuff from brand at this point in my gantt chart i got a dependency i'm going to manage that and project management is basically managing those organizational dependencies so for me i think product management as you say it's kind of a new thing i think it's a part of this movement to restructure an organization. If we can start to structure our organizations around the flows of value that exist inside them, to say, you know what, actually, we're a bank, we sell loans. Let's actually look end to end at that operational loan stream and actually organize all the people around that who have some interest and capability and skill in advancing that product or that capability so that you know, we are generating value from it and we are making an offering to our customer. That's really powerful. And then actually you've got a natural fit for something like product management and you've taken away some of those silos and peculiarities where I need to go to an architecture center of excellence and ask them to architect something for me. Actually, I've got people in stream who actually have the context of what we're trying to achieve yeah, yeah. going on inside that stream space. So I think over the next, let's, let's be optimistic, 10 years, I'd like to think that organizations are really going to start to get to grips with changing the 1990s and earlier management hierarchy structure shape of an enterprise into something that's a lot more lean and value driven. Amen to that. You mentioned um, David Market, which uh, mm. I know Nick Silver is a bit of a fan. Ah, of, yes. uh, and you know Nick. Uh, and I I'm know a, Nick. So <laughs> um, 
you've obviously read quite deeply into the you've mentioned some management thinking and management what, what what have you read or what have you um, who have you bumped into that's made you think oh ah now that's important uh, so I'm just looking around for books, actually, because they're here and there and everywhere. So I'm reading a book by a chap called, called Dan Ariely at the moment. And, of course, the moment you say the author of a book, you can never remember the title. So <laughs> I've now said his name and uh, it's going to come back to me in a moment. In fact, I'm going to have to Google it now, the title of his book. It's brilliant. It's called Predictably Irrational. There we go. Ah, it's right. back to me without touching the Irrational. Yes, Predictably Irrational. And this is effective about us as people and how we respond innately to different situations or propositions and yeah it talks interestingly in the product management space as you know you mentioned it because it talks about how we behave when confronted with different prices for the same thing okay if you see the word free associated with something what that does to you and uh, it goes much further in many many different directions it talks about the difference you can have between a, a sort of social relationship and then an economic relationship with an individual there's a beautiful example in there that's, you know, you know, you know, you and I are good friends. If I asked you, could you spare an hour for me to help me move a sofa halfway across town in a van? You'd say, yeah, Matt, not a problem. When are we doing it? If I said, Ian, I will pay you two pounds to help me move that sofa halfway across town, you'd have a totally different view of it. You'd be thinking, well, why have you, why have you valued my input at that amount? <laughs> exactly. you know, in the first instance where you're happy to help, you'll do it for free. When I offer you a small amount of money to do it, you'll probably be much more reticent. There's yeah. a beautiful example in the book where it, it paints this picture of an amazing Christmas dinner. You know, you've gone round to the in-laws. It's an amazing Christmas dinner spread. You know, there's there's chocolates in the afternoon and then, you know, at three o'clock, it's probably a small tipple. And, you know, it's 3.30, you're, you're, you're due to leave and, you know, you thank mother-in-law for this most amazing meal and then you get your wallet out and say, so what should we say, 100, 100, 120 quid? Would that cover it? <laughs> it, 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 it's a book of beauty and tries to explain a whole bunch of psychology around around those kind of interactions but i must say it's it's, it's fascinating something to bring into the workplace well we'll put the link into into the uh, the summary into the, the, the podcast uh, i love books like that because you just think oh yeah because you, you kind of know it but when someone makes something bloody obviously explicit you think oh you will kick yourself it, you, <laughs> you kind of realize the traps that you've fallen into looking into the shop window when you see the mid-priced object so yeah. oh no that was the one they wanted me to buy <laughs> I, I enjoyed the black swan i read uh, black swan i mean that was a fabulous book uh, and so i said oh yeah the pandemic's a black swan i said no no that was no way a black swan that was as white as you could yeah i think we've seen pandemics before we did know that there was an existence of a pandemic yeah yeah, Quite, yeah. Well, no, the, the black swan theory is, is is an interesting one isn't it so yeah good book but uh, yeah in europe a black swan did not exist everything was as rare as a black swan because there wasn't one and then we went to australia well, the last time I saw Black Swans, I think, was in Devon. Yeah. Um, and I think it was not Timmouth, and it will come to me where it was Dawlish. Dawlish. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. In no, fact, I... there's a big swan sanctuary there, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. Remember... I'm just looking around for another book that I've, I've got at the moment. So that I'm just, I'm revisiting. I'll just step off camera really. There we go. Oh. Which is the goal. The goal, yes. Yeah, it's kind of, it, uh, it, it, it's almost a bit cliched now, isn't it? Have you read the goal? Have you not read the goal? So, uh, but I'm just uh, just revisiting the goal at the moment. But uh, yeah, there's always a book or two around. Well, I, 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 as a trainer, I mean, you're, you're, you're 
training your socks off at the moment, aren't you? Um, a little busy, yeah, yeah. yeah remote tra- Actually, remote training, I suppose that's a reworking of um, a business because normally you like to train in the classroom, have the, 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 the pupils. Is remote training actually, are you seeing new players coming into the market? Because I was talking to someone in Africa, who says, well, we can now train across mm-hmm. the globe. It's, it's been an interesting uh, tipping point probably for the training industry absolutely yeah. so uh, yeah I mean, as you rightly say i was doing quite a lot of uh, in-person you know physical training for you know, a range of organizations and then of course coronavirus came along i was booked in to do a, a, a an in-person training course in the first week of april and uh, we just pivoted that to an online session which was i'd say pretty successful so um yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting environment. There's a lot of different nuances. You can't pick up on body language so well. You can't read the room. Yeah. It's it's quite tricky just to keep everyone in in the sort of context of what you're trying to teach. Yeah. Keep them engaged. But yeah, there's I guess we're all learning by doing. But yeah, to answer your question, I think there's been an awful lot of different people who suddenly recognise that the barriers to entry are down. I yeah. don't need to go and rent a. ETC venue space and get yeah, catering yeah. and do marketing and have a whole bunch of you know, support staff on hand to deal with things. And actually, as two or three people, I can start up a small training company and you know sell my wares online. Yeah, and I'd say good luck to people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If if you can do that, and they're brilliant. I think we'll probably start to see some sort of stratification or differentiating the training market where the the sort of more maybe larger or more seasoned training companies will come up with ways of expressing their differentiation. But uh, yeah, it certainly has changed things. I was delivering a training course two weeks ago and we had people in it from six different countries. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. It was four in the morning with one person who joined from Texas and it was, oh, what was it? it was, there were some people from India and it was, oh, it was late afternoon with them. There's all kinds of all kinds of fun and games going on. So yes, it's a, it's a, it's a new dawn really. But it is, isn't it? It's just the world has got smaller again, you know, mm. just like yeah. that. Um, but equally, I have to say, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I look forward to when I can go back out more easily, more freely, and in, and, and talk to people. I'm not a great lockdown patient, I'm afraid. Yeah, uh, but... it's funny. Yeah, I was saying exactly this with a group of coaches because us coaches, we're people, people. What we do every day is we work with people. We don't work with code. We don't work with technology. We don't work with product. Particularly. We work with people. People are what we do. So actually, as uh, as agile coaches, enterprise coaches, etc., this has been a fascinating journey into actually how we can do what to us was very natural and easy, but through an entirely new medium. So, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It is. <laughs> it is a bit peculiar and it would be nice just to go and have a proper chat with someone over a cup of coffee it would well, well look you know we've, we've talked for, for for a while again thank you so much for your time i uh you know will look forward to uh getting down to cornwall help move your sofa um and if you were to offer me a pint as recompense i won't turn you down and sneer at you but two quid i will be a bit uffy <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's been a real pleasure thank you so much matt if uh, if people want to get hold of you for training or and i know you do the training on safe and you do all the range of uh, work there and you do remote training for safe obviously uh or talk to you about some of the themes you've raised how can they get hold of you best bet probably just hook up with me through linkedin uh, i'll make sure my linkedin uh, profile is is in the uh, in the details of this or just find me on twitter i'm at matt agile coach on twitter 
do also feel free to find me follow me message me and all those good things lovely um thank you so much for your time matt and uh if anybody else has uh, enjoyed this and you'd like to talk to me or any of our associates as well about some of the subjects that matt and i've been going through but indeed if you'd like to have a conversation with agility by nature you can contact me at uh, ian.gear agilitybynature.com or linkedin of course i'm hunting for other people as we speak thank you so much for your time matt thanks again Ian. cheers now all the best bye now